Hi, Fashion Hotline. Hi, after this long winter, my family needs a style pick-me-up for spring. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, spring's first big sale is on now. Pick up fresh styles for the family from just $5, $10, and $15. With tees and tanks from $5, kids' shorts from $10, and jeans from $15. Whoa, styles from just $5? That's right. Plus, get 50% off swimwear and buy online and pick up in-store for free today. Now that's a real pick-me-up. Get to Old Navy and OldNavy.com now for spring styles from $5, $10, and $15. About 318 to 326 in-stores. Select styles only. Excludes licensed and in-store clearance. Hello, I'm Alan McGuire, and welcome to Juvenalia, where we talk to an interesting person about a pop cultural thing that was important to them as a child. My co-host today is author Sarah Marie Griffin. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. Good. How are you? You're all right. Yes. Good. And our guest today is very exciting. He is the mysterious person behind the Irish Four on Twitter. The single greatest Twitter account this fair island so help- <laughs> has helpful brought forth. Helpful and shameful. And gas. Uh, yeah. And woke. So a woke. woke. A woke. <laughs> and a woke Yeah. Ah! <laughs> it's Dark O'Shea Yay! Hi there Hello Welcome to Juvenilia yeah. Thank you very much for having me This is his first ever podcast So we have to be especially This is very nice Literally gentle please no. Yes <laughs> So what do you want to talk to us about? Today I want to talk about Terminator 2 yeah. Judgment Day Nice Yes indeed So it came out in 92 91 92 yes, yes. So how old were you when you saw it? I would have been about 14 Okay So I was I mean yeah It would, it would have been yeah, 13, 14, around that time. Oh, so you saw it in the pictures? I saw it in the pictures, yeah. although it was a 15th film and I was too young to see <sighs> it. But, you know, I just lowered my voice and, you know, I looked very serious. I think yeah. I carried an Irish Times under my under my arm <laughs> to make myself look very grown up. Yeah. It's just like getting out of jury duty. Yeah, yeah. So you squirreled in. Were you nervous? I was very nervous, but I think there was a little bit little bit of safety in numbers. I mean, mm. it was, um, there was... I think that I hadn't gotten into a uh, a grown up film before. <gasps> so this is kind of the first one. I think, I yeah, that's that's correct. I think once I, we did get into a grown-up film by accident in Dingle when I was young. I think we, we wandered in, it was in, we went into the wrong screen and quickly we realised we didn't <laughs> want to see that. It was some sort of muck. I walked into Space Instinct by mistake, I think, when I was going to see Star Trek Generations. I heard so, a lot of that happened. Yeah. The first um, film I tried to sneak into, or get into that I was too young for, was A Time to Kill. For some reason. Very specific. <laughs> I know, and I went up, and I was at my friend who was fourteen, and I was twelve, and he said, uh, "I'm 14 so she was like, "All right," and then she said to me, "How old are you?" And I said, "I assumed she would see how mature I was, so if I told her the truth, she'd appreciate that I told her the truth and respect my maturity and let me in." So I said, "I'm 12 she went, oh, "Well, no, I can't let you in." And the whole way home, friend was like, "Why didn't you just lie to her?" And then "I'm 12 was like a catchphrase that was like abused oh, at me. You. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was horrible. So I've never seen a time to kill, still. But Terminator Two, I saw it when I was seven. Terminator Two when I was seven on video. No way! I can't believe that I was allowed. But I kind of convinced my mother that everybody else in my class had seen it. Ah, uh, that so old trick. So she watched it with us. She made us turn away for one bit, which we'll probably get to at some point. So we'll go back to you though, because we had heard that another school they had watched Terminator Two in religion class. <laughs> yeah. Only in Ireland yeah. <laughs> do we have these very specific sets of mythos about the kind of movies that you're allowed watching religion class. Yeah. We watched Run Lola Run we watched when Dogma. I was in first year. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Dogma's like, that's yeah. it. I can understand watching Run Lola Run in German class. German, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did French. I was like, I don't care, this is deadly. Um, Dogma. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, see, there you go. That's how these rumors start. They turned it know? off quite quickly. Yeah, I'd yeah, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had heard that there was a school that that it there, had been distributed. A, 
this yeah. is the thing you always hear with these little schools where anything goes, or these little schools yeah. that are basically like kid prisons. Mount Temple, mm-hmm. which is the cool one, oh, <laughs> you know, like there are cool schools that are no known cool schools. Because I think we, when, particularly when we were in, in the last year of primary school, people we were talking about what school they're going to go to. This is the thing you hear about some schools. You know, this is the place to go. Everyone's going here, and then we, there was this a school near us. It was actually it was. Um, told oh, on your birthday what they do is they break your locker and you got to get a teacher to open your locker and when they open your locker it's full of porn whoa that is speci- <laughs> specific yeah. school school mythos extremely specific that's and well, I'm definitely not going there and it kind of speaks to what your fears are as well like very specific the sex will happen the sex yeah. is going to see the sex they'll see the sex they, they will see, know that you're having thoughts and feelings sex. Yeah. <laughs> the nuns are coming mind. for you man and they're fucking <laughs> and they are so ashamed of you yeah <laughs> It's true. They, they know your darkest secrets. Oh, man. And everyone will be broadcast. Well, that's the thing. I think, I think shame broadcasting is the big thing, the big fear in school. Mm. That, you know, the, all those things. And then when you get older, it's one of the things you realize you laugh at those little insecurities. And so it, almost in most, I guess, adult comedy or just kind of banter is about, oh, can you believe isn't, isn't it embarrassing? I don't know how to do this thing or, or a light bulb broke or something like that. And it's one of those funny fixtures. I don't know how to do it. Whereas when you're a teenager, it's like, they're going to find out that I don't know how to do this. <laughs> yeah, then they're yeah. going to laugh at me. Yeah. Mm. And then people... I'm going to go to like Wesley and all the kids in the other schools are going to know about it. Oh, they're just going to know. They're Everyone's just going, just going to know. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they're have just... like these meetings in religion class where they tell everyone, <laughs> they tell everyone all of the shitty things mm. that everyone has done. Oh my God, Wesley. All over, yeah, early early 90s, Rathfarnham, South Dublin, there were these kind of paper cups with, with strings at the bottom connected to other paper cups. <laughs> like, can you believe like <laughs> can you believe like like was frigid. It is, this, is, this is the frigid network Derek was asked who was the strongest man in the world in, in class and he said it was his dad oh. <laughs> and it's like there's wires trembling all over Dublin yeah. with the cackling <laughs> of <laughs> bastard teenagers yeah. making fun of you yeah yeah that's yeah. shocking but yeah and then obviously and these things tend to snowball as well which is weird because that's you think that's how all mythology started because basically the, the ancient Greece was run by teenagers Mm. making up shit about each other <laughs> <laughs> perfect they're all smooching and telling each other about the smooching which then escalates into like yeah. aggressive polyamory mm. like basically yeah like I heard Creasy's man built my, built my maze you oh, know yeah. and oh my god oh I heard he had a minotaur in it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny you get onto that because I suppose the minotaur story is the first ever science fiction story oh my god yeah. it is yeah That's yeah indeed. The thing in the fucking maze. The it came from the under maze. the maze. Yeah. <laughs> it the came fact, from under the labyrinth. The fact that, that, that the actual wings to get out were man-made is the very first as was instance of, was of science fiction. The Minotaur oh. is the first Terminator. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Man-made. Holy shit. <laughs> that's that's what go. I never thought about it like that because I'm a big proponent which may or may not be fucking obvious to everyone of fucking Frankenstein mm-hmm. and Mary Shelley mm-hmm. being the, the inventor of science fiction. Um, but you're dead right. It comes from it comes from this rumour mill, this endless rumour mill of fucking teenagers making up lies. Pretty much. All the way back. <laughs> and I went to actually, I went continuing on that theme, I went to a school, one of the few schools in Ireland that taught, teaches Greek. Oh, really? Yes, indeed. I didn't, I didn't get much Greek myself. I did three years of Latin, which is fantastic. Mm. And everyone should. And I think my big fear was about Irish is that if it was, if, if I suppose if, they, if it didn't receive the same support, only rich kids would do it. It mm. still exists, but it would just be something that Used to belong to everyone, but then it only belongs to basically um, posh people who are very interested in it. And so it's, it, that that would be my my fear is that it doesn't. I, I'm terrified of it not belonging to everybody. 
Yeah, mm. it stops being of the people and it starts uh, being like a hobbyist special interest mm. kind of thing. And yeah, then there's so much more. People do experience it in different ways and that's why sometimes <coughs> movements can disagree with, it, with with how the best way to promote it is. But it's it's big enough and beautiful enough to be promoted in different ways and enjoyed in different mm. ways. And so that's something we're going to do. And getting back to how Greek is taught in school, it's classical Greek. And this, this is the ro- re- recurring myth uh, in our school was that fellow would go on his summer in college to, to ion topping and they'd want to get a ferry to Minos when they're in Athens and but the version of Greek they'd be speaking would be like Chaucer. Oh yeah. Chaucerian so they'd be like holla peasant whereupon <laughs> <laughs> might, might I fetch upon a trireme to the island of Minotaur. <laughs> and they think they're just speaking great Greek but no. That is so, that's like the that's like French in, in that way that like Quebec French is completely different from regular mm. people French and I was in when I was doing my leaving search I was like I have, I have, can, I can barely speak English there. Like I'm not, I'm not a languages person. But goddamn, I did my best. Not in the language classes, but in music specifically. And uh, one of the songs I did was a French song. But I, it, I had learned the version that was done by, um, recorded by Rufus Wainwright. Oh, and that is like Quebec French. That's Canadian mm-hmm. French. That's not French French. And the music teacher who took, or she, she, she surprised, uh, took over our class was also a French teacher. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> Completely. Like, it would be like being like coke cole zero shoe gray like it would be like just completely you're saying the word but you're you're not saying the word I used to have a French housemate and his name was Pierre actually I'm not making up his name was just Pierre which mm. is great and he was giving out about Quebecois French and he's saying oh this sounds you know like um, it sounds like you know they have um, there's something wrong it's not the words and he's what is that show with the the mother and the daughter they look like sisters and they walk through they walk through the town it's always autumn or something and they're all drinking coffee <laughs> and there's a and yeah, yes and there's and, and there's a man he's, he's pretends to be french but he's not french and he wasn't he's canadian he's canadian yeah, he's yeah. French canadian, yeah. but all yeah. the french people watching were furious that is, you see but this is the thing about language and who can speak it and, mm. and irish and who can speak it like because my my irish is like comedy Comedy bad. I, I, and, and I'm still devastated by the fact that I was in these uh, these mm. environments since five to eighteen. Like most of us are in mm. school in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I have no retention of it at all, except occasional words, which is why I like the Irish for so much because it reminds you that the words in themselves have are so rich and beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain like I'd be scarlet to even try to talk to Irish, talk in Irish to someone who speaks Irish. Mm. You know, I'd be mortified. <laughs> Because I don't, I have it, I don't have it though, do you know? And I think there there shouldn't really be any politics about how people speak a language. I think, you know? and one of the reasons that I suppose English survived is because it's usually spoken so badly and people still understand how it is. And They're amorphous, languages are like fluid, you absolutely. know? Absolutely. Even I suppose in the 50s, there's a moral panic about American English and, you know, Wilson's, there's an ad, it was Winston's cigarettes, Winston's tastes good like a cigarette should. And it's like, well, that's, that's a poorly constructed sentence. I mean, is the you know, like there's this one, and they they find this. And the other, I suppose, the better example is Charles Atlas. Um, I suppose who's going to tie into Schwarzenegger? We'll be talking in a minute. He said, you know, in just uh, just seven weeks, I can make you a man. Like, mm. well, are you going to make me a man, like yeah. factually, or are you going to turn me into a man? And the second you said that, I had Tim Curry in my head in just seven days. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, and it's such a and because of that sentence is beautiful and weighted because mm. of that it, it, it throws into Rocky Horror and mm. how could people say like oh, whatever just, that's actually yeah, he owns that movie he's absolutely brilliant oh my god stop we can't that's a different episode that's a yeah. round table the All Rocky right. Horror yeah. round table alright right. Terminator 2 Terminator yes. 2 okay yes. so what was it like seeing it in the cinema because every pretty much every episode we've done so far of this the person has always come to it a little bit later nobody's actually seen their thing in the cinema I think before no so, so what was it like seeing this big thing in the cinema I think it was, I mean, it was a huge thing for me uh, that I, I suppose 
like at the time the other films that were kind of that were out at the time i suppose they were it was so very different first of all in terms of the actual the, the special effects nobody had seen anything like it mm. before didn't you couldn't actually believe it and then and then i suppose there was the actual I suppose the actual characters themselves i think then it was such a yeah it was, it was such a very beautiful kind of storytelling i think when i think of story of really good storytelling the first things i think is you know when when you know what a character wants you know what the story's about mm-hmm. and when you know what the stakes are you care what yeah. they want and yeah. then it is the very purest form of that there's a robot who wants to um, destroy wants to kill this child there's another robot who wants to save this child and the stakes are basically a, a, a catastrophic apocalyptic war mm. and and then it's it's and basically it's a very very excellent chase and but there's also so much else going on and from that, I actually saw Terminator 2 before I saw Terminator 1. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Some people, I know some people insist on calling it the Terminator or Terminator. It's I think yeah. once, oh, once like two alien, exists. Aliens, yeah. aliens, et cetera, yeah. Alien Eye. Like that's, that's like that, yeah. Yes, it's Lethal Weapon 1. It's Terminator 1. Yeah. These things are just one. And yes, yeah. it's... It, I and still, we just play with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just roll with that. But I think, um, I suppose the big thing is, was I, um, when I was growing up and... I was very self-conscious about my name. For those of you who don't know me, it's my surname is spelled O Father S E Father A G H D H A. That's pronounced O'Shea. I'll be able to find that out. <laughs> Amazing! Can you imagine? <laughs> letters, but, man. Yeah. I know letters, and and I think I was very, I suppose, I would have been teased about that a lot in school, mm. and mm. I was, I was in general, and I think a big thing was that I never saw really, I suppose, famous people with unusual names, mm. and in the eighties big thing was that a lot of um particularly some british celebrities of irish heritage would change their names like elvis costello and boy george and johnny rotten people like that mm. and when when suddenly the biggest film star in the world had a really unusual name it was very it's very i suppose it gave it gave it gave me great hope yeah that actually yeah. you could go ahead and actually just not have to fake a name or do something like that and the and i found that very meaningful as well yeah mm. and i suppose i was reminded of a lot of this recently um when um Arnold Schwarzenegger is actually fairly good at so, at social media stuff. Gave an absolute massive smackdown to someone giving out about the Special Olympics, which is something else that's very it's very close to my heart. Um, for those who don't know, my I have a daughter with Down syndrome. She's 13 months old. Her name is Lazarina. She's absolutely fantastic. But we had no idea that she was going to have this condition before she was born. But almost everything I know about Down syndrome and things and what people can do comes from the promotion work by the Special Olympics and organizations like that, mm. which Arnold Schwarzenegger was very involved in actually through the Shriver family, the Schneider or Shriver or Shriver. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Through through his work with them, through his, his the family for his first marriage, that only marriage? Uh, yeah. Most oh. recent marriage. The, his, yeah, yeah. The, the, marriage. The big, the big yeah. one, his marriage. Yeah. 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 Current. I think... That yeah, no. so that's that was hugely. Oh no! Okay, marriage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whoops. Right. No longer courage. Oh, yeah. God. Because of all that stuff he did. Yeah. <laughs> because of all those bad things he did. Yeah, him, him bad. He did the sex. Oh yeah. no! No one does sex. That's I know. It apparently it happens. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that, and because this was the way we remember things, I think it was that those are two. Those are two things I suppose I always associate with him while well, very problematic fave. Mm. Mm. Oh yes. look, this is this is Juvenile Bingo, problematic yeah. faves. Very yeah. problematic yeah. fave. I mean, like I suppose, you know, being a whole Republican governor, I suppose, has a has its <laughs> downsides yeah. too, you know, even if he is the probably the best. best one. He's not the fucking worst of them guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. I'm, Lesser of many evils, I think. So I think yes, between uh, um I think that Oh hang on, I think I'm a little bit cut off that topic there, but basically the 
the fact that when I was when I was watching it in the cinema, I was it was massive to me that it was somebody with a, who had resisted the urge to change his name. He briefly changed called himself um, Arnold Strong in the seventies. Really, didn't work. No. On the nose. Very yeah. on the nose, yeah. and also it's he thought you know it's, you got to look yourself in the mirror and think mm. you know this is what I'm going out and telling people this is when you tell people your name and they wake up in the morning Johnny yeah. Rotten <laughs> Johnny Rotten <laughs> let's go so it's I think that was uh, that was huge and then and then I think the actual it was terrifying as well it was because I knew I was watching this film I was that some government official decided I wasn't old enough to watch yeah the screw yeah. the screw door and had said this you know you're too young and I saw I was so I was expecting something kind of I was expecting something there's obviously some reason that they yeah. decided this so and then when the T1000 came along I guess those are the reason he was yeah. a very scary man very scary mm-hmm. robot and and it's yeah he's so I guess even with, like when he's running after and he's running so fast and then he, the, the the shape changing, these are the things I suppose that are just like and he was and the sheer remorselessness. While he wasn't exactly sadistic, he was just there was a complete kind of um, cut off, a complete no, no reaction or not even satisfaction from these kind of killings. It's had a disregard for mm-hmm. like it's just human life just didn't even have no value. Just it was a neutral thing for him. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter whether he killed or didn't kill someone. It was just the quickest way to his goal is Very to a person. So. So, so that's the thing and he he absolutely has one goal and you think there's so many I suppose of that from that time you have so many kind of uh, very cheesy villains you probably in the <clears throat> it was I think the, the 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 Bond films were on hiatus and after mm. License to Kill you had the it came around at the same time as Robin Hood Prince of Thieves I think it was, yes, that was yeah, the previous yeah. summer at the same time so you had that cheesy Sheriff of Nottingham you know mm. kill, cancel Christmas going on <laughs> and from the other things was yeah the there was a uh, I think yeah there was, there was those those real corny villains and then you had this one villain who didn't have any cheesy lines he just basically just ran really fast chasing down he wanted one thing and then I think there was one scene I suppose that probably describes that best is when he's imitating the foster mother yeah and then and you, you think she's closing the fridge she's not yeah. she's I was not. so shocked by that yeah. I remember yeah but isn't that a rare feeling now you know that's why these things imprint so heavily is that you're genuinely shocked mm. and you're too young to fucking be there. Yes. Yeah. And the this is why that's a great feeling. You don't get that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's something has shifted in how we watch, I think. But that kind of genuine set of sen- sense of threat. Yeah. You know? I think most films are now are made with a view to being PG thirteen as mm. well. Yes. They, nobody wants to make a fifteens film anymore or an eight or an eight especially an eighteens film. They do not. So like the Avengers films Oh, they're so neutered. They're like they can get a sense of humor into kids, but they can't get a sense of shock to them because they are funny and they have like subversive enough jokes. But the actual con- there's no there's no blood. We live in and... in the in an era of impotent family movies mm. that just aren't. I don't know, and and it, and things will change. Things will that will that mm. will that will dry out, and someone will make something that scares people. I think so, and yeah, yeah. You know, and good scary because I think there's the other there's. there's... Like this deeply upsetting, scary, which I don't like. I like oh, you, know. you don't want to watch Hostel, ever. Right? Yeah. Like I mean, and the thing is, I just like. I mean, like, 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 and this is maybe very Irish. I think. What, what does his mom think when he, when he made that film? And he ran? Yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing Saw for the first time and being like, I've never seen it. Yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't watch any of you. I tried to watch the other ones and was like, nope. Mm-hmm. But the first one is a wonderful mystery. I mean, it's fucking gross, but it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it becomes more gross than mystery. But I think those that sense of 
the 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 kind of fear that you get when you're watching Terminator when you're too young. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. I I watched it as a child, so I'm kind of like I haven't rewatched it recently, mm. but I have a very strong sense of those, like that skin crawly kind of like heart in your chest feeling, like that takes skill to invoke without being exploitative. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Like you have to be scared, especially when there's a ten year old child involved in it. Like. That's a yeah. that's risky biz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, you keep forgetting that he is actually 10 years old yeah. because he's quite mature. But then again, he, you remember how he's raised. Yeah. He's been reared kind of in a very um, non-conventional environment. Mm. And just in think when you talk about not being exploitative and obviously the non-conventional environment that brings us onto the big part of Timber 2, which is Sarah Connor. Mm. So like, I think, and I suppose again, when I was, again, watching a grown-up film, hadn't seen one before, and I, I thought this is basically, this is... What gross films are like. You had these this very I mean this, this very strong female character is very cheesy, but it's done in a very particular way in Terminator 2 in that she's not presented in a kind of um in a kind of a bit of a challenge for a male character to conquer kind of way. She's and when she yes. fights people, it's not done in a very kind of um, tantalizing, lingering shots of kicks or strangling people with her knees. Yeah, in, there's no like male yeah. gaze. Well, you know, there's it's no all like, male gaze. There's no like one-liners and winking at the yeah. camera and flirting. And, and yeah, you, you don't get that sense. She doesn't of, use femininity as a weapon ever. And there's no sense so, that there's, yeah. where, say, with most later characters, where there's this kind of like pleasure when they're shooting a gun, like there's yeah. this, like somehow arousing, and there's none of that. She mm-hmm. actually she's. And because we've seen her from the first Terminator film, we know she wasn't always like this. She became yeah. this way in the pursuit of a single goal. Mm-hmm. And this is very different from, say, somebody who's just like born badass, was always a badass, doesn't change during the film, whereas she yeah. has actually changed in the two films. Mm. Yeah, it's a huge and transformation. I'm pulling yeah. up uh, images of her now. Uh, listeners, please look at her sunglasses. Oh, my God. Style girls. <laughs> <laughs> like, I throw a bit John Lennon myself. Yeah, she's killing mm. it. Those sunglasses are so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting straddling that line, not to be like straddling the line. Here we go. But it's inter- <laughs> it's it's interesting having that the strong female character problem, if you will, where mm. like it's all gazy, but you like it but she remains iconic through it. Like mm. yeah, mm. afterwards. She she doesn't she's not under fire of think pieces all the goddamn time, is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know? She's mm. not she's not a historical problematic fave. No, no. Things, I think the the thing is say that, that sometimes she's cited as an example of a strong female character in a film that doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Mm. Am I pronouncing mm. that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Whereas I think Terminator 1 did pass. Just there's a there's a, a line in the cafe when she says, if that's the worst thing that's going to happen to you today. Oh, yes. She, has, she has a best friend. For, yeah, she has a best friend. Film, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and that just passes. But at the same time, though, I think <clears throat> she has the first line, the last line of the film. She does actually have a certain amount. Of, she's entirely in charge making decisions about her own destiny. She's not. Mm. There's no romantic subplot except for that bleeding. There's a, there's a special edition director's cut. They just bring Michael Bean back in for like two minutes, and I was like, "Why? What? She doesn't need to be told by her dead, um, her dead lover that she needs to do something. She's already decided that on her own." Yeah, specific and weird. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and I think they, they, I, I was rewatching it recently to just remind myself of some of those kind of feelings, and then they stuck in, like, <clears throat> they stuck an extra seventeen minutes of just stuff, and it's already a long enough film. It's it's it plenty long. Yeah. And Films also, were longer in the 90s. I have this theory. They like, were. They were less like packaged the same length every time. You'd, you'd occasionally get a two and a half hour. Like, there were a lot of two and a half and three, three hour, hour films. Titanic sized plankers. Like, where it's mm. like, why are we still here? <laughs> and that's the thing. And I think, whereas, I mean, because I, I remember at the time there was I had a friend who was working in the cinema, and this is a couple of years later, and he's talking about, right, I think Titanic or things like that. There was there were a lot of long films, and he said there's a film called Toy Story coming out, and it's only like 80 minutes long, so we get to have about like 20 screenings a day. No problem, and mm-hmm. they were just absolutely you know, gagging for that. And it's 
as a serious cost consideration for cinemas. Yeah. Mm. And then the relationships with um, actual distributors. Jesus. And with, with a piece of animation like Toy Story at the time, you mm. know. Actually, let's talk about that uh, in terms of effects in Terminator. That's like, the thing, the effects. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think one of the reasons the effects work so well and I suppose it was just a few years now. It, it it seems like a world away from Toy Story and 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 Terminator Two, but obviously some mm. of the, the effects that were initiated in Terminator Two went on to that that kind of computer animation. There had been some. There was a moment in the abyss that hinted yeah. that they were thinking of this. That there was a three D water face kind of mm. popped out, but that was only for a moment, mm. and it was quite um, clunky looking. But I think one of the reasons that the, the, the special effects work so well, you've got this the T one thousand who just shape changes, he just morphs into things. He can morph, he can he can't as you know in the film he can't replicate machinery, but he can make sharp objects and he can take and if mm. a person touches him, he can turn into that that person, mm. which is one of the things they they used CGI for a lot of, a lot of these effects, but not for all of them. So there was the fact that judgment was used to say no puppetry works better here. Mm. Like those the the actual terminators at the start mm. are done with puppetry, and they used identical twins. Linda Hamilton <gasps> has an identical twin. Who's yes? I didn't know. Yes, Linda Hamilton it. has an identical twin, and the the ginger lad, the security guard who who gets a cup of coffee and thinks it's Lucky's day. Oh yeah, yeah, it's identical twin as well. as well. No that way, is that's way. amazing. Like I find, see, we, we, I think this is a recurring theme as well that I find CGI very kind of difficult to look at, mm-hmm. um, unless it's like heavily stylized, like when mm. it's in real world movies, yeah. right? And I think puppetry and prosthetic. They're like they're dead, right? So if mm. they like any more Terminator stuff that we see in the future is going to be pure and canny valley. Yes. It's going to be a wash without depth or complexity. It's going to just be like fake fake. Whereas mm. when you you when you use like identical twins, I'm I like, feel like I subconsciously ah. knew that because mm. always when I see like that kind of thing happen on screen, I I just naturally look for the split where the split screen is between them. Mm. But when I just didn't even occur to me to figure out what they were doing with either the guard or Linda Hamilton. It was that good. Because yeah, it was just because they were both there. There was no there was no split for your mind to be like sensing. But that that there is a special effect happening because there wasn't one. Yeah. That's why like building yeah. things and making things and having mm. like mm. pushing pushing it back into the real world instead of into the digital world with cinema. Like there's a different visual effect and a different feeling you get from mm, it, totally. you know? And a different set of fear. There is because making fear. monsters <clears throat> and making malign things out of stuff is very different from coding a weird malign that's why the T-Rex attack in Jurassic Park is still terrifying Mm -hmm. it's so real because it's an actual giant thing coming out of them and actually the screen the roof wasn't supposed to break and so it broke in on these two kids and like fuck genuine (laughs) screaming only in the 90s yeah absolutely yeah do some things like that I mean I have um, have a huge interest in special effects and things anyway and particularly Mm. I'm very interested anyone who follows the Irish 4 knows I like silent movie gifts Mm. as much Mm. as possible and I'm just obsessed with say when Buster Keaton was doing some of those special effects he was literally risking his life oh yeah crazy there was no health and safety and and often that that famous one when he builds a house and the house just falls Mm. down on him they, they basically worked out how where the stuff would fall and he just stood there and he let just, mm, yeah, just let it fall. And he was watching camera people bless themselves. Mm. As I said, yeah, he's just watching people cam- bless themselves. But the, I think this is the thing with Terminator 2. There was, they actually, they used the actual CGI because it was expensive. They used it very judiciously. Mm, mm. And because of that, and because they still, the, they, Public Chew is still at its peak and, and you had all those other things they could do. And they're so inventive, even with sound effects. The bit yeah. when the T-1000 is going through the um, metal bars. Mm. They used a tin of dog food. 
No. Yes. Like that's gone. That's gone, guys. That yeah. is not the world we live in. Like. The thing is, Terminator Two was so revolutionary. I remember there was like the like the behind the scenes special effects documentary was like a prime time show. Mm-hmm. It was on like eight o'clock on ITV, and everybody turned tune in to watch it. Which is why I know that, that you was... know when he's rev uh, reforming yeah. at the end yeah. after liquid nitrogen. That's mercury on a red background with a hairdryer, throwing mercury together on a sheet. Iconic. That's how they do that. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Yeah. And that's the thing I imagine that there was when you have someone who actually has an interest in how, how that stuff works mm. if someone has, has that kind of interest that he would have had and instead when that's actually when this was the, the CGI was part of the creative process but it wasn't it was never used to replace storytelling it was basically yeah and I suppose one of the things James Cameron has done is that he's often written screenplays before he's known how to make them and he apparently mm-hmm. would have written Avatar which I haven't seen. Um, you know, I think anyone who has seen it can't remember what happened. This is a huge <laughs> thing. That, yeah. Like, yeah. Donald Clark did this recently on Twitter. He asked people to remember the name of the main character in Avatar. Yeah. And he compared that to say how well people know Harley Quinn, even though Suicide mm. Squad was a flop, and how well they know kind of other characters in very... The main character's name was Avatar. <laughs> and the other character's name was Avatar. <laughs> They're all Avatars. The, the name of the Avatar yeah. tree. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There was a really good article probably about six months ago, and it was just basically like, why has Avatar had no impact in pop culture whatsoever? It's the biggest grossing film of all time. There's no influence of it anywhere. No trace. In the last There's one scene in Love Hate when uh, Fran uh, <laughs> has sex with a woman who's dressed as an avatar. Well, there you go. There you that's, go. That's the legacy. That's it. it. Yeah. Well done. No, well th- done I remember boys. I did see it in the cinema in 3D, and there is one really, really striking scene where there's the gigantic tree of life is burning and all the ashes coming down in front of you in 3D, and that's incredible. And the way they do displays where they layer 3D displays back into the screen is very cool. But. It's just a, it's Ferngully, you know, it's. And, yeah, and low. And white saviour. You can fucking love. remember yeah, yeah. Ferngully. And three hours long. Yeah. Oh. So. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I think there's a, there's an issue that's, the films with kind of big prestige directors, we don't really have, I mean, as many prestige directors as we did in the 90s, that they were more likely to actually say that they wanted a longer film. And mm. so that's why you found that the long films tend to be directed by uh, Steven Spielberg or even, Kevin Costner, when he basically yeah. could do no wrong, and people being like, he actually had the water worlds. They said, "Well, you know, we're spending so much money, we may as well get a few extra hours out of this." Yeah, yeah. You know, has anyone seen Waterworld? Actually, I haven't yeah. seen it. No, no. no. Have you? No. Yeah. God, I've got, I've got better things to do with my three hours. <laughs> Future Juvenilia Roundtable. I feel, I feel like if it came out, if they re-released it in the cinema, I would go see it. Yeah, I think it's, I feel like it'd be a midnight screening type job. Yeah, you know, possibly. Though yeah. I did like a traitor miss the midnight screening of Fifth Element a few weeks ago. Did you? Sold out. I was oh. sick. Yeah, I was because everything in that film is made. That's why I like it because I, I I find the uncanny valley between looking at something that's illustrated and meant to look real mm. and prosthetic or um. Uh, like puppetry I find that very steep I lose connection I lose pleasure I lose my place in that story when things look super fucking computery yeah and I think films like Terminator 2 and like Jesus even 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 if we're in full Henson town you know what I mean mm-hmm. like all those monster movies like they felt uh, or Brazil yes. do you know or Brazil like God it felt like a different world, whereas it doesn't feel like a different world. There's no transportation. Now, I could mm. be fucking wrong completely. And this could be, this is like, by no means, this is like full Twitter disclaimer. This is just mm. my opinion. Mm. But I think that it, uh, it, it, it looted something silently from how monsters are shown uh, on the big screen. 
It's indeed, and I think that's it's it is something that's a big issue. I was just um yeah, saying there the um there is um the Uncanny Valley. Yes, there's three words in Irish, three terms in Irish for Uncanny Valley. Oh my god! Do you want to try pronouncing one of them? Go on. I might get like kicked off the island for my poor. <laughs> Not at all. Watch watch. Watch watch. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Glangrana. Yeah. And your phone just did a black. Oh. <laughs> it just went. Glangrana was when I picked. I think. Glangrana yeah, is great. Glangrana and yes. Is there a root it. meaning behind each of them, or do they all effectively oh. mean the same thing? They basically they <clears throat> they are they're, they're, they're different interpretations of of a word for uncanny and, and a word for valley, but they they decide each time. Whoever and it's it's interesting. This was with Irish with the Irish words then for for modern stuff. The there's a, the person who who's at the at the front end of needing a translation. Um, uh, can has a certain amount of input mm. in what gets picked, and in these three instances, they decide all to go with something with a bit of alliteration, which is great. Oh, Josh is so good. And because sometimes it it can be an issue, particularly for something in the news. The big issue is that say whoever's writing the Nucht, whichever journalist writing the Nucht, has a huge is writing the first draft of what this new word is, mm. and there's certain formats they have to follow, and they can be very strict. Whereas people who actually are talking Irish and using a phrase. They might come up with something awesome, and that yeah. might stick. So much more human, yeah. It yeah. can be, and it, it, so it's it, it is interesting how the process of how new words get at it. Yeah, and I always find your polls so interesting. I know, I think so. yeah. People showing their hands, yeah, or yeah. or where they're from in the country, and what, how people what people are finding, uh, like a catchy way to describe something in this language. It's funny, it's and, and people come up with people do come up with these great suggestions, and also mm. there's there's a huge. I, I, I think when people see the actual interest that they say there is a new word for something in this, and mm. people do appreciate that 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 say some some sometimes a word is a very direct, direct transliteration, and most people accept no, that's not right. Whereas because they want the Irish language to have an Irish sensibility, and we're we're preserving yeah. Irish and keeping it going, we're also preserving a way of looking at the world and an attitude to life and an attitude to actual authority and mm. those sorts of things. I think one of my favorite of the new words was the word for an earworm, which is aged faced. Oh, nice. that is so good! It's yeah. so clever, and mm-hmm. whoever came with that—that's actually that, that's another w- w- place where new words come from—is when T.G. Cahar is translating cartoons, uh, and that one came from SpongeBob. Really? Yes. My brain is on the floor. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Like SpongeBob is like a major contributor to the Irish language and stuff, or well, Bully, or one of the one of the artists in SpongeBob is from Ballymun. Really? Yes, way. And yes. if you look closely, there's there's one scene where they they did a they caught a screen grab that one of the buses was going to Ballymun Town. That's great. In the background, and he does he does put a little references in apparently now and then. So I feel like I'm exactly uh, four years too old, approximately, to have watched SpongeBob. Yeah, I didn't yes. see SpongeBob because when I was yeah. a kid and it came out, it, it always felt to me like a poor man's Earthworm Jim, and I immediately got that in my head. Mm-hmm. That I was like, that's like Earthworm Jim, but bad. And then I just didn't watch it. However. I feel like there is a rainy day coming where I kind of sit down with a box <laughs> yeah. of pizza and I'm like, let's deep dive SpongeBob. Let's yes. watch it in chronological order. Let's get to know the canon. Let's get in this. <laughs> you know? SpongeBob round table. You know? <laughs> like, but it, we, it, it's, it's amazing that our language changes based on the world around us and the culture that we import and that mm. we need to find new words for things that we didn't always have. Completely. And I think in terms of the process that one of the things I really like about Irish is that it's words that don't actually have any equivalent in English. When you translate them, they need a bit more explanation. And the, normally the process for adding new words tends to be, oh, there's this thing that people are talking about in English, Brexit or whatever, mm. and we need to call out something so we can talk about it. And whereas sometimes there's ish, there's things that don't actually, we have a word for. And this is the difference between getting new words from maybe 
amazing new fiction writing or, or poetry saying well this is we could really use a word for the feeling that you've left the mm-hmm. house and you think the iron's on you go inside and you're trying to turn the iron off it was already off and you left it on that's, we need a word for that mm. yeah we really yeah. do and it's be- and because the Irish language is made up of so many moving parts yes we it's it's the very kind of language to have that completely and you I know. think it's so I think that's um, so well I think uh, the guys in Termod- guys and gals in Termodale do amazing work and there's so much stuff there like it's when you actually when I'm just looking through you see find maybe there's a few entries for one particular field and then for some reason there's like over a hundred different specific terms for robot for terminology and robotics and I thought there's mm. obviously I'm not sure if there's people in robotics who are who are dealing with well, government God. forms or, or there's actually committed Gelgors working in robotics and a lot of science people. Yeah, that's it. There's, but that's that's the thing. You think there's a whole other world of people of friends you haven't met. Mm. Yeah, just with this amazing yeah. common thread of interest. Yeah, it's really fantastic. What's your favorite Irish word, Dara? Um, I've got a different one every day at the moment. Today it's achno, which is a word in Denise dictionary, which means a job that has to be done again because it wasn't done right the first time. Oh, nice. <sighs> that is nice. That's a, a very familiar word. <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your favorite word, Alan? Oh, don't do that to me. <laughs> Tempeste. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do like Ultra Rorta. I know it's a really Ultra obvious Rorta, one. I was going to say, yeah. It's, it's, it's a super obvious one because I remember seeing a stand-up uh, years ago who did like a Shano song but about buying an Ultra Rorta from a shop. Oh, that's so good. But it's such, it's so, on. it's nothing like the English word. It's mm-hmm. totally its own thing, you know, and it's this really awkward word you have to trip over. There's like so many syllables in it to get to. Lots of vowels. To get to saying ice cream. Yeah. You know, I re- it's, and that's why it sticks in your head, obviously, because it's so unusual. It's so unusual, yeah. yeah. I do Where like does it come from? Do you know? Well, Ulster means kind of upper or higher, or cream usually. It's, it's, it's the upper, cream. yeah, because like the cream is obviously on the top of milk, and so that's mm-hmm. why we have Uchtran for the president. Oh and Rocha is frozen, so it does actually mean so frozen, it's a frozen cream. fancy person. It's fr- well frozen cream, but those, but also Uchter um, would also be used for in in context to refer to an upper crust society or something that's on top. That's amazing. So hang on, so. If we were to develop an Irish word for a rich person who gets cryogenically frozen, that could to preserve be their body for the future, because it means it's like a fancy person, mm. so it's like an Uchter person, but it's also frozen. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose. Yeah, you, you, you might have like a, I suppose maybe you mightn't go straight to Uchter for that. Or a lot of people maybe, but the. But yeah, we could get something along those lines. Something the is, in that realm. The thing is, you don't have a misunderstanding when you're delivering cryogenically frozen people and you're delivering <laughs> ice cream. And, you know, it's a very it's, specific it's challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, these, are, these are where terrible misunderstandings happen. Yeah, I mean, true. Like, I had one amazing Irish teacher, uh, not in my school, but outside of school. I, I, a lady um, in the local community centre gave free grinds in the evening because she was a, a girl gore. Hmm. And uh, she, she didn't do written uh, or read, but she did oral. Mm. And it was amazing because I had never really heard it spoken properly or by a person who liked it. Yes. It was very much broken down in an abstract way. Like there was no understanding of it as a cohesive like thing. But I remember her telling me that her, she had two favorite Irish words and I never forgot them. Well, obviously mm. I didn't forget one of them, but I never forgot why. Um, so boher, which is hilarious and such an obvious one because it's bow, B-O father, car. It's yeah. cow crossing. It's where yeah. the cow crosses. Oh mm. my God. It's amazing. It's so literal. Yes, and the other one is Boeing Day, little cow of God, a ladybird, gorgeous. And that's oh. the one everybody seems to come back to as loving as a smuggler of Rome, the the seal snot as a as a jellyfish. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Oh, like it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. 
So you were saying before we started that uh, the way the Terminator learns language you found really interesting. Yeah, I think this is another thing I suppose that I found really interesting is that when they were making the very first Terminator film, I suppose Schwarzenegger's English wasn't great. And as, as it's and he still had this very strong accent and he was still learning it. And they actually made that an advantage. They made it work to the advantage by ma- making him be more robotic. He used less words. He, just, he, was, he relied more on his physical presence. It was actually, and it, it actually turned out to work really well for the first Terminator film. And I think those that and Conan, uh, the Barbarian, were two films where they realized mm. they made advantages of using his enormous physical presence, but also just not having to rely on his language much. But when he did speak, it was it felt authentic. And in some ways, the idea of this killer robot having a, a Austrian dramatic accent, you know, it was <laughs> yeah. it was consistent with what you'd imagine. And but then when the and then this was one of the things with Terminator Two. It's kind of like a Nokia thirty two ten fighting an iPhone. Oh my mm. god. With the uh, with the two different robots and the way that this new robot has is perfectly smooth American English, and the Terminator still has this accent. It, it's a it very it shows very it, it, it just gives a nice texture to how different they are as machines. That's such a really mm. clever nuance, yeah. Because you would you would subliminally notice that, but that's a and yeah. It, so it just picks up as well because I think they. I was just reading recently that apparently they were considering Billy Idol for the T1000 and that would have been awful. Yeah. Really awful. I mean, Gar Patrick did phenomenal work and he mm. just had this very kind of Forrest Dimp kind of physicality that he was small and nimble. He did look like he probably could be good in a fight because he was small and nimble but mm. also and he had that kind of very interesting head shape and then he spoke this way but also in addition to the yeah. um, in addition to that like the the fact that that Arnold's weaker English made him look like an earlier model there's also the fact that when he gets to know John Connor, John Connor, he's John Connor starts teaching him new words mm. and how to act more normal. And he uses this kind of Californian kind of slang with with this huge Spanish influence. And this is basically when he starts the robot starts using this more to show that he's becoming more human and more connected, like Hasta la Vista, baby, and mm. No Problemo. Mm. Interesting when they translate that to Spanish, they couldn't do that because it was, didn't make any sense. So oh, they, really? they said Sayonara instead of Hasta la Vista. Really. Yes. Wow. Yeah. This is like blowing my mind on the yeah. floor. Like I'm. I remember reading once about um someone a translator whose job was to translate uh, Lewis Carroll's Jabberwocky mm-hmm. into Chinese. Yes. So you had to take all these made up words and make up new Chinese words for them mm-hmm. and make it make sense and make it seem like nonsense but also understandable. I say the translators have to do that all the time. It seems like an impossible job. I can but. see that, and I think that's one of the things that translation is. I suppose that it's an art as well as a science. Mm. It's kind of like, um, yeah, I suppose it's a, it's more like yeah, more like knitting, and yeah. the way that and and this is the thing to say. Obviously, that yeah, so in Lewis Carroll, you do think that those um, gibberish words they do have. First of all, they they have a flavor of being similar to a different word. While yeah. they mean something, they also sound like it's the same way that you know sometimes a word it has a meaning, but it also has an implied meaning for what it sounds like when someone mm. says masticate instead of chewing you know they're you know they're having a go you know, yeah. They're, yeah, you know yeah. they're making a gag, gag and i know there was they translated finnegan's wake into chinese i think or one oh, of the yeah. chinese languages yeah. which i know one of my favorite words from that is a sfumastellinius if i'm pronouncing that correctly and it's a word for beautiful hair that's kind of full of shadows and stars because like sfumato from like painting and still mm. from like little stars and it's obviously it's it is a word a word that no one's heard before it's a very nice word. If you break it down to its components, you can work out. You probably could translate the Chinese from that. But you would need a certain amount of um, emotional input there as well and exactly. artistic sense. Yeah, that's unreal. 
I'm like I'm just open mouthed. Please, <laughs> it's just um, yeah. So that's that. So that it really interested me that how language, both in terms of as as a tool, but also as a, as a way of texturing the actual the characterization worked really well in, in Terminator Two hmm. and Terminator One. And I think it's probably not something that's really considered really as a, as, a, as an exercise in kind of a ling- linguistic play. But hmm. there it goes. And the other thing, I suppose, when I suppose when we were coming out of the cinema. And we were talking about this in school. One of the things that always stays with me as being a relic of that time, the early 90s, the troubles are still happening. Guy in class said, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's kind of like a West Brit robot, isn't he? Because like, <laughs> he's kind of fighting for the humans. Yeah. And they only like him because he starts acting like him and he still has to die anyway. Yeah. <gasps> he's a traitor. That's like, that's, and I thought that's, I mean, he's it's. like Wally with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, T-1000, T-1000. T-1000 like, is at like least he's on Wally his own and, side. Wally and Eva. Mm-hmm. But even but like enemies, but, but yeah. like enemies. <laughs> yeah. But because yeah. I, I did think of this, and I thought obviously that's that's like uh, your man's being humorous, and I mean like, like mm-hmm. a, it's. But it is an interesting idea that if you think of, I guess, the war between robots and humans as being analogous to something else, and so much science fiction did emerge from the kind of the the roots of kind of nineteenth century science fiction, come, where basically uh, colonial countries imagining what it would be like to be colonies, mm. and. And basically, it wouldn't be terrible if somebody did the stuff to us that, that we do to them. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be terrible? Oh, that, that, that's because they're evil. Let's stop <laughs> them. And that, that's War of the Worlds, probably the most extreme version of that. Mm. And this was the original one. But then you think about, um, I suppose, when the more I thought about it, well, it's obviously a flipping remark about, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger being a, a, a traitor to other robots. The idea, it isn't really sure at the end that the relationship between John, the father-son relationship that John uh, Connor has with this robot um, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to lead to an understanding of robots or treating robots better or doing things differently. It's an exceptionalism. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is yeah. an exceptionalism. So that's. I suspect that later films have touched on that, like AI deliberately tried mm. to find a, a way of actually saying, well, maybe this is something that we've learned better on humanity from the kind of machines we've made. Ex Machina, right? Yeah. You know. That's a. That was a. That was a hard L watch for me. <laughs> Can I do sex to the robot? <laughs> the movie. Pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much, but that's but that's the question that we keep having to ask ourselves. In this, we were living at a, at a teetering point, a really mm-hmm. interesting point around AI. I could fucking freaks me out. Like I love it, mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by it. I don't want it in my gut. I don't want it near me. I don't want. Mm-hmm. I don't I, like my husband is, is always like Siri, and I'm like, don't bring her into this. Yes, do not do. Don't talk to the phone. Like mm-hmm. it is that is terrifying that there yes. is a thing that can hear us and talk back. Mm-hmm. You know. So what I I think I'm probably at the point. Where I can't, I don't know if I should feel empathy for it yet, but there is, there's going to have to be empathy because if it can respond and should you be bringing them in, like there's this, it is a, it's a new frontier, man. And we've been making movies and telling stories about it for a long, long time. But it's, oh man. It really un- is. And, and I, th- I think it, it certainly yeah. is. And I think the, the thing is we're, we're, like I find in a lot of work situations, we're trying to make people act more like robots through these kind of process audits and saying mm. to people, you know, actually, well, did you follow this, this, this step? When the, when the person has the phone, did you offer to sell them? You know, did you offer to sell them yeah. the, 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 the payment protection them. insurance? Oh, yeah, like upselling when you're working like a game shop. Oh, stop. Mm-hmm. Please buy some more Next DS level. styluses. Buy them, buy them. Yeah. And we're but teaching machines to be more human and humans to be more machines. And like the idea of people being really, um, everything being really efficient. Yes. So mm. like... um eating your your breakfast on the bus and like staying in work really late and like there's efficiency as a as a ethos mm. like mm. or productivity 
as an ethos for people. Yes. Like I've heard that thrown around a lot. Like I lived on the outskirts. I lived, I've lived in San Francisco, so I lived by Silicon Valley. You hear people talk about productivity a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fucking computer program, man. No, you know? like most good ideas happen when you're not doing anything. Like when you're oh, walking look. or like Limbaugh Miranda had the idea for Hamilton on holidays. Mm-hmm. He was taking a break. He went, Imagine. I'm going to do this. Oh my God, you're devastating you know? me. People don't take holidays like Lin-Manuel Randall. Randall. People, no. people don't buy that People don't take holidays. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, and, that's, and that's the thing. Productivity has become this, the, to be ultimately productive has become this goal and to make computers empathic and suddenly part of our <clears throat> emotional uh, vocabulary is the other one. So we're meeting in the middle, which is interesting, but also kind of spooky. I was, some, some uh, years back, I was talking to a person who trains uh, working dogs for, who be used in various capacities, such mm. as police work, um, prison mm. work, things like that. And someone Help was asked, Helper puppers. Helper puppers. And something that always stayed with me, and I think I've almost like a model for life, we were, there were someone who asked if, this, um, if the dogs were rewarded when they found, you know, drugs or contraband, and the, the trainer said, no, because the reason they're good at their job is when they're working, they think they're playing. Oh, that is the saddest shit I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> but that is an ethos when you're yeah. working. Yeah, you're because they're they're good because they're playing, and then they think that when they're being taken out for a run afterwards, that's their work. But that goes so firmly against so much of the conversations we're having about millennial culture and productivity. Mm. Like that is the antithesis of everything everyone I know talks about. Yes. Like I know a lot of bright, bold creatives who are obsessed with their jobs, and that is it. And it's work, work, work. And if you're mm. not working, there's not that there's something wrong, but to be working at all times is the goal. Mm. Like and a, a lot of that is because of, of technologies, but technology is supposed to help us make life easier has actually made us accessible 24 hours a day oh, by okay. mobile phones have, have basically created a situation where you can be contacted at any time. And I suppose, in the, and even like, um, even certain aspects of social networking and, and other things have made it very easy to find out exactly where you are and and people maybe a lot of people have accidentally dobbed themselves in on sick days and things like mm. that <laughs> if they're yeah. still in a place where they're lucky enough to be allowed to take a day off when they're sick yeah. look, we've, we've fullified, we fully gamified our, and, and you know and I genuinely do believe it's temporary mm. like I think the apocalypse that we are talking about isn't the apocalypse we think it's going to be I think it's going to be the end of technology they're and just then. going to slow down the 3G for a bit oh, and we're all do. going to go insane <laughs> oh my god don't you love when there's no fucking Wi-Fi like it's gone it's done the pressure's off like mm. I, I do think that we are living in a temporary time I don't think it's permanent I genuinely don't think it is technology yeah I mm. think it, I think something will happen I think suspicion will grow or it will just yeah. be removed. I think it was interesting that Google Glass was rejected so wholeheartedly. Oh, honey, I was. By, yeah. Oh, shit, man. They are the creepiest looking things. Mm. I went to a Renaissance fair in, in, in um, California oh. where every second person was wearing them. Really? They were in full Ren gear. They were in full, like, from the past. Renaissance fairs are weird because they're completely without nationality. It's just like the past. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I re- am a queen of where, uh, like. The, the, I'm glad the whole Renaissance fair thing hasn't really kicked off here. I oh, think God, it strikes me as. Just baffling and awful, and it's it, not hateful. It's fine. People can walk their place. I'm. I love watching people nerd out over stuff. Mm-hmm. I went and I felt very odd because not because people dress up because I'm like, yeah, go do the fun thing. This mm. is like a. It's like fantasy Dungeons and Dragons vibe nearly. Yeah, like totally. And that I can kind of get into. Mm. But the the presence of Google Glass at it was very odd. And during the time that I was there, there was a bar called Molotovs. I mean, like, it's in the fucking name. Take a hint, right? Mm. Uh, in the Lower Haight, uh, in San Francisco, where a lady went in and was recording. Mm. people with her glasses which is an infringement like that's terrible don't mm. fucking do that to people mm-hmm. also don't punch a lady in the face like that's also a shitty thing to do yeah. like that was some bullshit but 
there was this in, incredible face-to-face moment where a punk, like an asshole, met a woman who was recording him mm-hmm. with a Google Glass. And a Google Glass is also a very um, obvious uh, piece of uh, conspicuous consumption because they're worth fucking five grand. Like, that's an mm. expensive piece of technology yeah. on your face. Yes. So it's a class signifier as well. So there was mm. this awful debacle. Like, don't fucking ever hit anyone. Don't fucking hit a woman. Mm. But also, like, in general, maybe don't record people. Yeah. You shouldn't mm-hmm. get... I mean, this is not the punch of Nazi conversation, but don't fucking record people. Do you know? Um... So signs popped up all over San Francisco in the window of uh, stores, restaurants, boutiques, Hulshbang, no Google Glass allowed inside. A line had been crossed. Mm-hmm. And I've never worn one. I'm not. VR kind of freaks me out. Again, video games for life, but VR mm-hmm. is a bridge, bridge too far down the uncanny valley for me. But uh, yeah, there was a line there. And I think we are going to find that line soon. But it's interesting, actually, that that does tie back into Terminator 2 mm. in another interesting way. Oh, exactly. Way. Totally, yeah, in a, yeah. But in, in very much so in terms of actual recording technology that famously the, the bar scene was opposite the person. Basically, when they're shooting the bar scene, word got out that Arnold Schwarzenegger was making a movie nearby. And a passerby basically tried to record it so he could have some footage. And he happened to have his camera on him when he saw the Rodney King beating. Really? That's how, yes, when that footage was wow. ended. There's a little shot of Arnold Schwarzenegger walking past and the next cut scene was the beating. And the person basically that, who yeah. saw that was there, had the camera in their hand because they were going to pap or or just get some footage of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Holy shit. Isn't, that, isn't, isn't it amazing? Like mm-hmm. the ups and downs of it. George Orwell never could have predicted that we would become big brothers to ourselves, that we would become our own precise uh, surveillance system. Each of us every day recording and broadcasting how we are. Like mm-hmm. there is no way it is darker than we thought. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's finite. Like it's definitely finite. And uh I mean, if it was all prosthetics and cute shit, it'd be one thing. Yeah, yeah that'd be grand. <laughs> but uh, that, ain't, that. that ain't where we are. But if we didn't have it, we wouldn't have the Irish Four. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I would give way less fuck about Irish <laughs> because I wouldn't know that it was good. I would not have known that it was good if it wasn't for the Irish Four. <laughs> Listeners, if you're not like following it. Oh, follow it, yeah. And this book, I'm so excited about your book. Yes. Can you tell us yeah. about your book? Yeah, yes, my book, my book, yes, is called Mother Folklore. Mm-hmm. It is coming yeah, out in September. It's published by Head of Zeus Books. And um, it is basically it's. It, I'm going. I'm taking the, I guess some of the content I've covered in the Irish for, but much more. I'm going to talk about basically my own relationship with Irish. How actually I was, um, my father was, had amazing Irish and talks about basically him and he was m- m- very multilingual and I was very important to him. How I suppose there was issues of myself drifting away from it as a teenager and coming back to it as later in life, as a kind of as as things change. But I also want to, in it I talk about how Irish is in. How there's all these lost words. I've got chapters in that, and I've got chapters talking about how Irish is, interacts with the constitution, the bureaucracy, things like that. How are, we have technical words for things, and and just yes, yeah, so hopefully have a, a fun look at language. Can't wait. And when can we read it? We can read it in September. So <gasps> there we go. It's coming. So, thank you very much, Sarah Marie Griffin. Thank you so much, Alan McGuire. Thank you so much, Dara Cochet. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, there we go.
Uh, Sarah's still here. Hi. Thanks again to Dark O'Shea. His book, Mother Folklore, is out in September. With head is this, and we're all, we're all going to be shouting about it from It's going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thanks again to him. Thank you to Dean McDonald for the artwork, as always. Thank you to Headstuff and the Headstuff Podcast Network, who you can follow on Twitter and YouTube. And uh, please do subscribe to us. Do subscribe and leave a rating or a review if you're... If you're inclined. Or just tell someone about the show. God, just tell someone else. Yeah. Uh, We are in an ecosystem and all of the love you give us, we feed off of and grow bigger with. (laughs) But not in a vampiric way, but in like a... In an organic uh, nature way. In a sunlight way. Yeah. yeah. In a sunlight yeah. way. Yeah. So if you like what you're listening, uh, click a button that suggests that you do that. Uh, because uh, we want to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, we like it. We hope you do too. Oh, thanks to Brian for producing the episode. Yay. We love Brian. Okay. Bye. Godspeed. Get down. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.